Psalm 22, we're in Psalm 22, we'll be in the last few verses, verse 22 through 31. Now, do you have a favorite story? Like, you have a favorite story. Like, this is my favorite. I mean, I love hearing the story. I love reading it or I love watching the movie, whatever it is. Let me ask you a question about that favorite story. Does it have a range of emotions or just one? Is the entire story all joy? Is the entire story all sadness? Like the whole movie is about Eeyore and nothing goes right. Typically, most of our great stories have a turn. You reach a climax and then the tension shifts. What was sad becomes happy or vice versa. Some of our favorite moments in a movie are when something happens, a climax takes place, and you didn't realize it was coming. Like it came out of left field, you're like, this is despair, this is the worst, and you're like, this is awesome. Today in our psalm, so we saw last week, and we left it intentionally morose. We left it intentionally, it's a lament. And you you feel that weight, because some of you feel that weight today. Some of you walked in here feeling that weight. It feels dark. It feels gloomy. And you may, you may feel like verse number one in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is he here? Does he see? Does he know? And then we sing our song today, and it seems like, well, this is, this is upbeat. Things have changed, and it does change in verse 22. What has caused the change? Why has something changed? Let's look at our text here in Psalm 22, verse 22 through 31. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard When he cried to him, for for you comes my praise in the congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Praise the Lord. The last few verses here, we're going to see three forms of cause and effect. Um, however, here in this, you're going to see the effect first, and then the cause comes later. So we're going to look at three, a response and a reason, response and reason, response and reason. So we'll see the response, and then we're going to give the reason for the response. We'll see three of these, and then we'll end as we did last week with there are a lot of connections in this psalm to Christ. And we're not making these up. We're not just talking, hey, you know what, I think this one's going to stick. It's like, no, th- these are quoted over and over again and point to uh, the suffering servant, the Messiah that's going to die on the cross for our sins. So we're going to look at this at the very end. So first, let's look at response and reason one. Look at verse 22 again. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in all of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or poured the affliction of the afflicted. He's not hidden his face from him, but has heard when, we, when he cried to him. David will t- praise God in the assembly, tells others in verse 23, not only that we, he should praise him, but he says, praise him, glorify him, stand in awe of him. Praise him, glorify him, stand in awe of him. This is awesome. But what's changed? So remember, what's verse 1 again? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, wh- how has this changed to praise? Look at verse 24. For, here, here's our turn, he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. David's gone from you forsaken to me, you forsaken me to actually, actually he heard me. He heard me. He's not forsaken me. He has not hidden his face from me, but he heard when I cried to him. It seemed like in the midst of it, he's not here. But in reality, he's been here the whole time. He's he's been here the entire time. We don't know what the time period is between verse 1 and verse 22. There are moments of extreme anguish that a soul can feel and hours feel like days and minutes feel like hours. It just goes on. And sometimes you wonder, will the dark ever cease? Will the dawn ever come? And at some point in time, we don't know the time period, David realizes God's with me. He's not despised. He's heard me. Speaking on this, one author said, even in the lowest moments, when the feelings of fear and shame surround, God did not abandon. This may be the most powerful verse in the whole psalm. For those times when we feel rejected and shamed and all alone, here is the hope of tomorrow. God does not despise or disdain. What did we just sing? His goodness keeps running after us. Do you always see it? Is it always tangible? No. Is it always there? Yes. For he has promised his own. I will never, never leave you. I will never ever forsake you. I don't see him, Pastor. I feel like my prayers stopped at the ceiling. Does he hear? Does he care? Does he know? Yes, yes, yes. He is not despised. He has heard. He knows. Christian, even in the dark, bank on your God being with you. Is he not called rightly Emmanuel? God with us. Not God forsaking us. That is the reason and response number one. Secondly, we see response and reason number two in verse 25 through 28. 
From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. God is the theme of David's praise. Whatever vow he made in verse 25, he confesses to the Lord he will follow through. But the scene turns from David and goes back to the assembly. We see those afflicted. Those that feel like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see those afflicted, they're, they're experiencing this, this darkness. But the afflicted are now feasting. They have seen things change for them as well. And their feasting reminds me of a setting in the very next psalm. Psalm 23. Almost like the afflicted, like David, who wrote both. Like he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but does not have to fear anything. Why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And what does the Lord do? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They're getting ready to shoot arrows. God's laying out a, a banquet. The afflicted are feasting. The shepherd leads the sheep to green pastures and still waters, and they're led there by their loving shepherd. What else do they need? But here we have in our text today, the afflicted, they realize we have all we need. We eat, and then they say, and are satisfied. We feast. Isn't that what he says? The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. There it's like they're laying down in green pastures. They're beside still waters, and the Lord has restored their soul. Christian, hold on. Hold on. You're not the only one to endure. We'll see this later when we speak of Christ. But even look at your brothers and sisters around you. As dark as it may feel, you're not alone. He is with you. He will help you, and he will turn your mourning into dancing, for the dark will be conquered by the light in time. Hold on. We see praise continues. Look at verse 27, and it spreads out beyond David, beyond the assembly, to the corners of the globe. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. All nations will worship the Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, what's the cause? What's the reason for all of this? Look at verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over every nation. He's the great king. He is the supreme potentate. He's the sovereign Lord over all. David recognizes, David the king recognizes <laughs> God's the real king. It's Jehovah. Have you ever been in, in Burger King and they had those little paper crowns? You guys remember these? I don't know if they still do these anymore. So I, I remember as a kid going to Burger King and putting on the old paper crown, and it was really cool. It's like you're the king for a day. Right? So you walk around and you wear this little paper crown on your head. The idea of a child with a paper crown may help us understand this idea of a king recognizing who the true king is. Can't you see a kid in London today visiting a Burger King 
putting on the paper crown and going up to see the changing of the guard. And out of all days, King Charles decides to show up and, and meet with the common folk. And this little kid with his paper crown sees the real king of Great Britain, and he takes his little paper crown off and hands it to him, recognizing, we recognize you're the real king. That idea is what you have here with David, the king, recognizing the real king. You're truly on the throne. What I got on my head was free from Burger King, and I don't know if you knew this, but it's not real gold. Those aren't real gems. But I, I want to recognize this may, may look cooler than your jewels in, you know, in, the, in the prison cell down here, but you know, King, I'm going to give you this. Folks, it's good not just for King David to recognize who the true king is. It's good for you to do that as well. You are to recognize his rule. You are to recognize his reign. And you are to recognize his realm. You are a servant in it. And you are to spread his good news to the corners of it. It's your task. And you will do so if you're recognizing his rule and his reign as being part of his realm. David recognizes this authority. The kingship belongs to the Lord alone. We see another reason in response here in verses 29 through 31, the third one. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. The rich of the earth will be part of the feast, but so will every other category of people. All peoples and all people groups, all that eventually go down to the dust, meaning any human that will die, that would be each of us. But all those that die and know the Lord will feast and worship. In verse 30, we see the posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall proclaim, come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. The posterity or future generations, i.e. our children, will serve the Lord. Then his awesomeness will be told to the next generation. But beyond that, the next generation is, go is going to proclaim his righteousness to the following generations, to those yet unborn. We have this amazing scene of watching. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, to watch your kids pass on your faith to your grandkids and to watch them pass on that faith beyond? Mom and Dad, could you imagine if the only thing your children learned for you from you were your hobbies and your skills? They didn't, they didn't see your faith? That was not passed on? I taught them how to farm, taught them how to fish, taught them how to hunt, taught them how to bowl. They're a good Boy Scout. They're a good basketball player. They're a good student. They got a scholarship, D1. Do they have your faith? You're going to make them go to bed before they take their SATs, but you stay up as late as you want on a Saturday night. You don't got to go to church. You choose, but you, you got to go to school. You instill in them the traits that you find are valuable. Is your faith valuable to you? If so, pass it on. Encourage them, pass it on. Because you want them not just to pass it on to them and their children, but to generations that follow. On and on, it should go. And this should be the process. That's the response. 
What reason is given? He's like, we're out of verses. We're out of verses. What reason is given that we should do this? It's, a, it's the last four words of the last verse. What reason is given? Last five words, sorry. That he has done it. That's it. What has the Lord done? Let me walk you back through Psalm 22 quickly. And we're going to see what the Lord has done in the past. We're going to see what the Lord has done in the present for David. And we're going to see what the Lord will do in the future. Look at the past. Verse 3, he delivered the patriarchs and Israelites. Verse 5, he rescued his people and ensured that they would not be put to shame. Past, present. Verse 9, David realized he nourished, cherished, and established a relationship with his own from an early age. The Lord has rescued him from his enemies. Verse 24, the Lord has heard his cry. Verse 25, the Lord prompts and gives reason for our praise. And then verse 28, as king, he will bring all nations to himself. David, who was at the beginning, ponders that the Lord has forsaken, ends by reminding us all that the Lord, the king of all nations, has delivered, rescued, saved his people. He's established his own. He nourishes them. He cherishes them. He has not abandoned them, but he has heard the cry of the afflicted. The Lord has done it. Where are you? I don't see you. And then this recall, like, oh, he's here all along. He's been there in my past. He's been there in my forefathers' past. He's been there for me. He's going to be there for others. Lastly, like we did last week, again, I want to point out the connection in this psalm to our Savior. Last week I mentioned the psalm was written by David. It's about his life, but you're going to see a greater picture fulfilled by our Savior because he is the son of David, the Messiah, the anointed one. It, since you weren't, if you weren't here, look back real quick at, at Psalm 22. Let me read a couple verses. Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted this on the cross. Verse 7. Look at 7 8. All who see me mock me. They make mouths of me. They wag their heads. And what did the Pharisees say? The religious leaders say when Jesus was on the cross? He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue, for he delights in him. Look at verse 16 through 18. For dogs encompass me, accompanied evildoers encircle me. What do they do? They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We don't have time to walk through these verses like we did last week, but these are pictures of the crucifixion. This is what has happened. And so you get this idea that there's something greater coming, a better David. As we mentioned last week, we need a better prophet. Moses said there's another prophet coming, him you will listen to. We need a better priest than Aaron, so it's going to be not after the Aaronic line, but after a priest after the Melchizedek line from Psalm 110. And we need a better king than David. His descendant will be the one to rule and reign. So how do we see Jesus here in verses 22 through 31? Look at verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of congregation, I will praise you. Like, well, I, I don't recall that being a, something that was stated at the cross, and you were correct. But if you were listening to our scripture reading today, in Hebrews 2, you, you would have heard this text speaking about our suffering Savior. Let me read Hebrews 2, 10 through 12 for you. For it was fitting that he, Jesus... For whom and by whom all things exist, there's our creator, in bringing many sons to glory, all these nations coming to him, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 11, 
For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And that's why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. The writer of Hebrews quotes this verse, speaking of the work of Jesus on the cross, his suffering that took place, which leads to, at the end of that passage, right? then, then we can go to the throne of grace because we have a priest who's dealt with what we've dealt with from Hebrews 2, 14 through 16, and Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We have a high priest that's gone through what we've gone through. So uh, a commentator on Hebrews talked about this quote, and I think it helps us see the bigger picture. He says the quote in Hebrews 2, 12 is from Psalm 22, 22, and that verse 22 in Psalm 22 is, is in the point in the psalm where complaint turns to thanksgiving. God has delivered as Jesus cried out in dereliction, so now he announces his triumph at the exaltation. He rose from the dead. He's become the founder of our faith. He mentions the writer of, that the author of Hebrews is seeing it's a pattern from the psalm that the one that has seen deep suffering has gone to deliverance and exaltation. Keep this idea in mind. So we're going to see this again as we get to the last verse. Look again at verse 27 and 28. See, Jesus is the king over all nations, and all the nations worship him. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. In Revelation 5.9, the 24 elders, they fall down before Christ before the lamb that was slain and they sing this song to him worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain there's our suffering and by your blood you ransom people for God from where from every tribe and language and people and nation all nations he died for all peoples bringing them to himself, and they are singing to him in praise. They're there to worship the one that cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Realizing that he didn't just die, but that he arose from the dead. He ascended on high, and he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He made salvation possible for all peoples, for all nations, and therefore the 24 elders fall down and say, Worthy are you, Lord. You're worthy from all nations. But there's one more thing I want to point out about this song. And the connection, it seems, at first, let me be honest with you, iffy. Seems at first iffy. And there's a number of people kept pointing to this, and I, I, I think when you're reading it, maybe you glossed over it. I know I have a number of times but you see the beginning of the end, beginning of the psalm, and then you see the end of the psalm, and it just sounds, it's too eerily similar to just leave it out. So I don't want to try to put anything on the text that's not supposed to be there, but at least want to draw your eyes to a connection. Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What are the last five words of the psalm? That he has done it. Now, does this draw your mind to anything than the time when Jesus was dying on the cross for your sins? 
speaking on this connection. One author said, David, David's experiences as set out in the psalm are not his alone. But in particular, they are a pointer to the coming sufferings of the Lord Jesus. On the cross, our Lord used both its opening words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And also its closing words, it is finished. For he has done it. The coming Messiah, the Savior of the world, went through darkness that we will never know. So that way we could become his sons and his daughters. So that way we could have peace with God. So our sins could be forgiven. What does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, I mentioned that Jesus died for all peoples, nations, and was raised from the dead. And he made salvation possible for all people. Is he your Savior? You think, well, I, I sang to him today. I've been to church before. I've worshipped him. No, is he your Savior? Friend, when you place your faith in him, he promises he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You ask any Christian, and just becoming a Christian does not mean it's all rainbows in cotton candy. There are hard times. The road is narrow, and it is hard. But you don't have to do it alone. Not only will the Lord be with you, but if, if you would accept him as your Savior and, th and then come and participate with this body, then you also have his people to walk hand in hand with you as you go. Would you place your faith and trust in him? You can do that by admitting that you sin, you confess it, you forsake it, you ask him to forgive, you commit your life to him, Lord, save me. Do, do what I can, save me from my sin. Make me your own, allow me, allow me to be your child, and he will. There's no specific wording that needs to happen. It's not like you say these three things and that guarantees. It's just you talk to the Lord as if he was really here. Admit that you and I, that, that we blew it. Believe in him, that he's done it. And then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, I encourage you, take that step today. Next, for those that have given their lives to Jesus, let me ask you, Christian, do you feel abandoned? We had a similar question last week as we deal with this lament. Again, earlier I quoted from the author who reminds us, God did not abandon this may be the most powerful verse in the whole psalm for those, for those times when we feel rejected and shamed and alone. Here's the hope of tomorrow. God does not despise or disdain. Do you have hope in tomorrow? Christian, will you by faith believe and trust that even now, God has not forsaken you? He has not. Will you by faith believe and trust that he hears your cry? Verse 30 and 31, we see children serving, growing, and telling others about the Lord. Christian, is this what you are doing now? You're serving and you're telling others about the Lord? By faith, we ask the Lord to bring someone into your path you can talk to about Him. We ask the Lord where you can serve to bring Him great glory and honor. Lastly, David challenges God's people to praise Him, glorify Him, and, and stand in awe of him. Will you join me in praising our Lord 
this week, glorifying our Lord this week, and in standing in awe of our Lord this week. If you would, let's take 30 seconds to a minute, and let's do that now. Friend, you may have a lot of sin to confess. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I beg you, come to him, run to the cross. But if you're a Christian, you may have a list, but let me pause and just thank Jesus. Let's thank Jesus for who he is. Let's do that right now. Jesus, we thank you. For being our rescuer, for being our deliverer, for being enthroned on the praises of Israel, for being the one that's worthy to open the scroll, being the one that's worthy to bring all people, all tribes, all tongues and nations to himself. Lord, we pray that if there are those here that do not know you as their Savior, Lord, bring them to yourself today. Lord, I pray that you would help our church family as we leave this place, that we would praise you because you are worthy of our praise. That we would glorify you in whatever we do, whatever we eat, or whatever we drink. That all things be done for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would help us to tell others about who you are. As we stand in awe of you, may our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers wonder what's going on. You give us the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Lord, we thank you again for coming to this world, becoming the suffering servants who endured mocking, rejection, who endured his, having his hands being pierced, his bones coming out of joints while people gamble for his clothes. Jesus, we thank you for dying for our sins and crying out, it is finished. But Lord, we're so thankful that you didn't just die, that you rose from the dead, defeating sin, death, and hell. And Lord, therein is our hope. Help us to live in that hope today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.